You're listening to Leading and Learning. This is the place where we talk about practical leadership, theology, fitness, how to create winning habits, and so much more. My name is David Spell, and I'm a retired police officer, a pastor, a New Testament scholar, and a leadership coach. My goal on leading and learning is to help you live your best life. Thanks so much for joining us today. Welcome back to Leading and Learning. Today I'm going to read you an excerpt from my novel, The Darkest Part of the Night. I'm wanting to, as we go, give you a taste uh, of both my fiction and my nonfiction. Um, I've read from uh, New Testament snapshots recently, Reflections on the Resurrection. We read from the, the first book in the Zombie Terror War series, When the Future Ended. And today, I'm going to read you a section from The Darkest Part of the Night. And just to set the context for you, uh, the the whole idea of the Zombie Terror War series is that a, a rogue nation, in this case Iran, has developed a terror weapon, a chemical weapon, that kills and then brings back to life as, as for lack of a better term, a zombie. So it's weaponizing people to do the most destruction in society. And so this weapon is being deployed in my novels, and we've got our team of experts. They're CDC enforcement agents. All of them have an extensive background in military, special operations, or law enforcement, uh, SWAT, and other tactical uh, units. And in this section that I'm going to read, the weapon... The chemical has been deployed in a high school. Uh, The fictitious high school is Peachtree Meadow High School. And the weapon has been deployed. Uh, Many students, faculty uh, have been infected. And you can imagine the chaos inside of a a packed school with thousands and thousands of of kids and adults with this type of, of, of weapon being deployed and the absolute chaos that's going to arise. So that's, that's kind of where we're at. Our experts are en route. Um, we're going to start off going into a classroom, and then we will go from there. So um, the, the little header at this section says, Inside Peachtree Meadow High School, Friday, 11.45 hours. They had lain quietly on the classroom floor for almost an hour. A few of the students were getting restless. One of the girls kept whispering loudly that she had to go to the bathroom. One of the boys looked like he was in the beginning stages of a panic attack. He kept saying, we have to get out of here, over and over. Jeffrey didn't know what a panic attack was by name, but he recognized the fear that he saw in the sophomore's eyes. Bell crawled over to him. Listen, man, I understand, but we have to stay quiet. The police are going to come to get us, but right now we can't make any noise. You have to stay calm. Try taking some deep breaths. That always helps me. Okay, I'll try, the boy said. One of the girls was on the phone with her mother. She was whispering and telling her mom what was happening. One of the guys had managed to get through to 911. He whispered to the dispatcher, asking her to please hurry and send help. He didn't know what the classroom number was, but he knew the approximate location in the school. 
Others tried to call out, but didn't have any service on their phones. Jeffrey crawled over to his spot by the door. He knew that if the zombies made entry, he was going to have to be the one to try and stop them. He was starting to feel nauseous, just like he did before a big game. A figure walked slowly up the hallway to their classroom. He was wearing a button-down shirt and a tie. His glasses were still on his face, but they were hanging at a, at a funny angle. One of the girls in the classroom said, That's Mr. Taylor, the assistant principal. Maybe he's coming to rescue us. Jeffrey, Jeffrey motioned at the girl to be quiet, but the damage was done. Mr. Taylor turned at the noise and slammed his arms into the window of the classroom door. The glass shattered and his arms were ripped to shreds. He didn't even notice as he growled at the students in the room. His eyes were glazed over and his mouth was opening and snapping shut. He had blood on his face and shirt. The reason his eyeglasses were askew was that his nose was missing. It appeared to have been chewed off and only a bloody hole remained in the middle of his face. The door was still closed and the wooden lower part came up just past Mr. Taylor's waist. He began to slam his body into the door and the sound of other zombies' growls filled the hallway as they responded to the noise. The students in the classroom began to lose it. The girls were crying and the guys seemed to have already gone into shock. No one knew what to do except Jeffrey. He jumped to his feet and swung the baseball bat at Mr. Taylor's head. It was a swing fueled by fear, adrenaline, and Jeffrey's powerful body. The bat swung through the broken window and caught the former assistant principal full in the forehead. A metal twang reverberated in the classroom and in the hallway. The blow was strong enough to fracture his skull and drop him to the floor. Jeffrey glanced out into the hall. A group of at least 20 more zombies were coming from their right, and another 10 or so were coming from the hallway to their left. A, the girl who needed to use the bathroom jumped up and ran to the door, screaming at the top of her lungs, Help us! Please! Please! Somebody help us! Belle calmly pushed her out of the way. You need to get back, he said. There are more of them coming. His wave of fear had passed, and a calmness had settled over him. It was just like after the football game started. After kickoff, he was always good to go. He looked around the classroom. There was nothing to use for weapons. Nothing. Suddenly, a loud popping sound came from the hallway to the right, and then another, and another. Some of the zombies collapsed to the floor with holes in their heads. It sounded like gunshots, but not quite as loud. A group of five of the infected reached the doorway and were growling and reaching in. Jeffrey recognized a familiar face in the group, Billy Allen, one of his best friends. They played on the offensive line together. Billy was one of the few players on the team who was bigger than Jeffrey. His glazed and bloodshot eyes didn't even register recognition for Bell. He was growling and his face was covered with blood and gore. He was wearing his green and white Peachtree Meadow letter jacket, just like Jeffrey was. Shots continued to sound to the right and zombies continued to fall. The entire group of ten from the other direction were now shoving against the door. Billy was one of the biggest high school offensive linemen in the state of Georgia, weighing almost 300 pounds. It was only a matter of minutes before the door was forced open. Tears were streaming down Jeffrey's face as he swung the bat at Billy's head. It took two strikes before Alan fell, his skull shattered. 
His big body knocked three other zombies down as he collapsed to the floor. They immediately started trying to get to their feet. Bell continued to swing the bat and continued to connect with zombie heads. They piled up around the doorway as he cried and swung the bat. There was more movement up to the right. Jeffrey's arm was getting tired. He wasn't sure how much longer he could keep it up. Police officers, we're coming in. Step back from the door and let us make sure the area is safe. Andy Fleming led them deeper into the school. Josh had guided them as to which hallways to take. A teenager and a police officer both turned zombies rounded the corner in front of them. They were covered in blood and were growling the guttural growl that all zombies seemed to make. The student's face had been ripped apart and an eyeball was hanging out of its socket. Andy fired twice, dropping them both. He glanced at Josh and saw tears in his eyes. Sorry, man. Let's keep moving, was his only reply. There were two more shots from the rear of the team. Fleming stopped and glanced back. Scotty and Louise shot three students, turned into zombies that had run up behind them. Andy started moving again. They passed body after body in the hallway. This was like nothing that any of them had ever seen or smelled before. The floor and walls were covered with blood and gore, and the smell was horrific where the bodies had been ripped open. They couldn't help but walk through infected blood. They moved slowly as they got deeper into the school. The police dispatcher told Matthews that they had a group of 20 students nearby asking to be rescued. As they moved down the hallway, a loud metallic thud came from up ahead. A few seconds later, a girl screamed out, Help us! Please! Please! Somebody help us! Oh, that's going to help, muttered McCain. That should bring every zombie in the school straight to us. The hallway they were on ended at a T-intersection. It was clear to the right. To the left was a large group of infected converging on a classroom. Another big group was coming from the opposite side of the room. Fleming guessed there were 25 to 30 in total. The growls of the infected echoed down the hallway. The former Spec Op Marine turned around and gave hand signals to the team. He motioned Josh and Chuck up with him and had everyone else guard their rear in the other side of the intersection that they were at. Fleming, Matthews, and McCain stepped into the hallway and started firing. The suppressed weapons were still loud inside the school, and a few of the big group closest to them turned and started towards the officers. Zombies started to drop over and over. The sound of, over the sound of gunfire was the distinctive metal twang of the baseball bat. Chuck and the other two officers squeezed off shot after shot to their heads. The sh they shot students, teachers, and probably a few parents who had been infected. In less than two minutes, the first group had been eliminated. Now there were shots from the rear of the team. Scotty and Louise had killed four more teenage zombies who had tried to get them. Andy motioned the team forward again. Most of the second group of infected were now laying on the floor around the doorway with their skulls crushed. Another zombie teacher and student were almost to the classroom door. Fleming and Matthews made headshots on both of them. Everybody paused to reload their rifles. Police officers, we're coming in. Step back from the door and let us make sure the area is clear, Andy said. Instead, the students rushed to the door and flung it open. Thank God you're here, one of the girls said between sobs. Is anybody hurt? asked Andy. No one answered, and all the students seemed intent on pushing their way into the hall. We need a plan, he thought. A group this big will be tough to protect all the way back to an exit. 
They were near the center of the school and not close to any of the outside doors. Three of the male students pushed their way into the hallway, clearly in panic mode. Fleming and Josh shoved them back into the classroom. Everybody back inside, he ordered. But we want to get out of here, a girl sobbed. Listen, we're going to get you all out, but keep your voices down and just hang on for a minute, said Josh. Chuck waved the rest of the team into the room. He pointed at Luis, Scotty, and one of the SWAT officers and told them to watch the door in the hallway. He saw a big, hulking teenager standing off to the side. He was holding a bloody baseball bat and was crying. He had blood splatter on his jacket, hands, and face. McCain stepped slowly over to the young man. Are you okay? Did you get bit or injured? No, sir, he said. I just... I didn't want to hurt anybody, but they were trying to get in, and I had to hit Billy. We were on the football team together, and I had to hit him. Chuck put a hand on the boy's shoulder. What's your name? Jeffrey Bell. Well, Jeffrey, you saved everybody in here. You did good. Now, I'm going to have one of these paramedics come and wipe the blood off of you so so you don't get sick, okay? Bell nodded, and McCain waved over a mechanic to clean him off with the new solution developed by the CDC scientist. Chuck back, stepped back over to confer with his men. A shot came from the doorway from Scotty's rifle. Two more shots came from the SWAT officer's suppressed MP5. Three more infected had been eliminated. McCain glanced over. Smith smiled at him and gave him a thumbs up. I don't think it's such a good idea to move a big group, this big of a group, said Andy. I counted 19 heads. What do you guys think? Chuck asked Andy and Josh. Fleming nodded. Yeah, that's a lot of people to protect. What about we take ten and then nine? We can leave a few guys in here to protect everybody. What do you think, Josh? Chuck asked. It's probably better to do it that way. It just seems dangerous splitting the team. Okay, I think that's what we'll do, Chuck said. Andy, grab ten of these kids to go with you. Me and Scotty will stay with the rest of them until you get back. That still leaves you guys with four shooters. Andy nodded and started grabbing students to leave. He picked the nine girls. That left 11 boys. Chuck made eye contact with Andy and nodded at Jeffrey. Fleming stepped over to the big teenager. We need one more to go out with us. You've done your share today. Come on, let's get out of here. Bill wiped his eyes with his now clean hands and shook his head. Take one of them, he said, pointing at the other students. I'll go out with the next group. Chuck and Andy shrugged at each other. Fleming grabbed another one of the young men, picked one of the paramedics to stay behind, and then lined everybody up. Andy and SWAT Sergeant Josh were in the front. Luis and the other SWAT officer brought up the rear. The ten students and the other paramedic were in the middle. He briefed them about the importance of staying together and moving fast. The ones that were getting left behind continued to protest, but Chuck and Scotty told them that they were staying with them to protect them until the second trip. Fleming looked everybody over and then stepped out into the hallway. There were bodies sprawled all around the door, and they had to be careful not to trip over them. McCain shut the classroom door and watched them leave. Well, I hope you got a taste of this exciting story. And uh, if you're interested, obviously, uh, click on the link in the show notes for... Uh, the Darkest Part of the Night. Check out all the, 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 the volumes. They're fantastic. I'm getting great reviews on Amazon. Um, if you like fast-paced, action-packed stories, these are it. Uh, some people have said, are these Christian novels? And I have to say, not really, but they're not non-Christian novels. There's actually a Christian 
theme that kind of does that does weave its way through. Several of my main characters are believers, and so there's some interesting uh, dynamics in there when they have to make decisions. But uh, but again, check it out. It's something different. I think you'd enjoy it, and uh, I want to invite you to check out my my website, davidspell.com. While you're there, um, that's a great place to find my books. My up at the top of the web page, just click books, and it takes you to to all eleven of my currently published books. So uh, by all means, check that out. And while you're at davidspell.com, make sure you subscribe to get my free newsletter. I send out two blog posts and a podcast every week, and I'd love to be able to send them to you as well. I also send out a uh, subscribers-only newsletter. That goes out once a month, and it's a great way for us to stay in touch. Well, friends, thanks for being with me today, and until next time, let's all keep reading and keep learning.